today is, a, is, also, is serving as an, an ordination and installation service for our new elders. We've recently elected um, some men who are coming back on board as elders and deacon, but we're ordaining two men who have never served here before. One is Steve Towery, who served as an elder other places. The other is, is Matt Burke, who's being ordained today as an elder and then being installed to, to serve this church as well. And so it's a privilege to ordain and install officers. We're thankful that God raises up leaders for our church, godly leaders who love him, uh, love his people, those things. You know, even though we ordain men, and our, our sermon today will be towards that end of um, sort of a, a challenge and a charge and a teaching on those things. And we're thankful for all the leaders uh, that God raises up in our church, men, women, boys, and girls, uh, who lead in so many different ways, in public and private, in Sunday school classes and small groups and personal relationships. And so there's a challenge in these texts today as we think about the character of a leader, the character of an officer even. It's, it, those, many of those things are, are true for those who, who lead in any way. And so there's a challenge in this text today for all of us to be people of character who love and serve God and, and, um, and walk with him. And so we're, we're thankful for everyone that God raises up to, to serve uh, in our church. Uh, let me pray for us. I'll come back and read the text in a few minutes because we're going to walk through uh, that text kind of point by point in a minute. Uh, but let me, let me pray for us as we get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. What a privilege it is to uh, install new officers, to talk about leadership and to grow in thankfulness for the leadership that you've given our church. Uh, in, in every area of our life. Uh, God, we pray today and thank you especially for these men that you've, risen up, you've raised up to be officers, particularly Steve and Matt and the others who serve. But them as they come today, we thank you for, for them and the privilege it is to, to have them uh, lead us as you've called them to do. Um, we pray for our church, that uh, this church will be a, a church that, that grows and follows the vision and leadership of our, of our officers and, and others around us who are leading. God, help us to, be, to do so in a way that uplifts Christ, that centers everything on the gospel, that you might be glorified in all things as we seek to do ministry here in this place and as we seek to be vessels uh, of, your, of your grace that go out into the world uh, carrying the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we may go. Thank you for being our God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at two things this morning from... First uh, Timothy three. We're going um, we're to look at the character of an officer, uh, and and the responsibilities of an officer. So those are the two things we're we're going to look at this morning. The focus on this passage that we're looking at is is on character, not duty. We'll talk about some of the duties in a minute. But the thing that takes precedence, the thing that's most important when the scripture lays out who is qualified, what the qualifications are for an elder or a deacon, is focused on the character of the person. Not just the, the giftedness of the person. Uh, the character takes primary. And so it's important to have, it's more important to have godly men as leaders, as officers, uh, rather than, than just men who can do stuff. We'll talk about the doing in a few moments. Like I said, the tasks aren't primary. What we see in this text is the, a picture of a mature Christian who shows an evidence of faith uh, in the fact that God's grace has changed their, their lives and is at work in their lives. And, making him uh, more and more like Jesus. So we're going uh, to look at both of these lists. From There's also a list about elders in Titus. But we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 today uh, where we're given a list of qualifications for elders and then a qualifications for deacons. So we'll walk through both of these things. Uh, the, the list of them are, are similar. Uh, so if you'll turn to 1 Timothy 3, 
Uh, we'll put it up on, oh, there it is. It's up on the screen. So we're just going to kind of walk through this sort of line by line and talk about the character that's necessary for, uh, for an officer in the church. All right, he says, this saying is trustworthy. Uh, so this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So it's something that God calls to that gives us an inward calling. We believe there's a, an inward and an outward calling to church office that someone has to desire to serve and not in a haughty way, not wanting power, not desiring to lord something over others, but to serve and love and shepherd and, and whatnot. Um, so there's an inward calling. And there's also an outward calling that's evidenced by the fact that a church elects you to serve. So there has to be both. You have to be willing to say, I desire this. God has given me a desire to serve uh, that comes from him. And then a testing of that and then an election, a choosing. Someone chooses you or calls you uh, to serve. And so it's a noble task. It's a high calling. Verse 2 says, therefore an overseer, because of it's a noble task, because it's a noble calling, therefore an overseer must be what? above reproach. His, his character isn't always in question. That he's above reproach. Um, it says that uh, in light of that, there must be, it must be the husband of one wife. We see this in the deacon list as well. During the time when this was written, polygamy was a big deal in that culture. And so, but for Christians who were called to marriage between one man and one woman, uh, to be the husband of one wife was necessary to be part of the calling um, here. It says to be sober-minded, to think clearly, to be someone who thinks clearly, thinks, we would say, thinks biblically, but is not clouded by the thinkings of the world more than the, the wisdom of God, but is able to think clearly um, as a shepherd and whatnot. Um, it says to be self-controlled, to not be out of control. We'll see some examples of that as we go forward, but to be in control of your emotions and those sorts of things, and we would say even aware to be spirit-controlled also, as the, there's evidence that the Spirit's equipping you, that that's what's causing you to be self-controlled, to say no to sin and, and yes to righteousness in, in general. We'll talk about uh, repentance and falling short of these things also in a minute. So it says to be um, sober-minded, to be self-controlled, to be respectable. It comes back to this again in a minute that's well thought of by outsiders, but also by insiders, that people look and respectable in the ways of your life. Your outward life is respectable, not prone to to controversy and those sorts of things. Um, hospitable. Hospitality is being open to those who are outsiders, to those who are different from you. Maybe new people coming to the church or even people who don't look like you, smell like you, talk like you, think like you. And an officer, a bishop, an overseer, and we see that as one office, as one thing about this. When the scripture talks about overseers or bishops or elders, uh, the, our church, our denomination considers that one office, three titles for one, one calling. And then there's the office of deacon as well. Uh, but to be an overseer, an elder, uh, to, be, to be hospitable, to be one on the front lines of welcoming people and, and calling people to come into the church and to come to Christ and those sorts of things, being open and, and relatable to, to people around us. Able to teach. Um, we'll talk in a minute about this, but able to teach means that you're able to share wisdom. It doesn't mean that everyone, that all the elders are going to be up front, front of crowd, as I am today, you know, teaching and talking in that sort of setting all the time, uh, but able to communicate truth to people who are in need of hearing the truth and able to communicate it in a way that they're able to understand. So there's an ability to communicate and teach. Um, it says not a drunkard. Notice it doesn't say doesn't have a drink, but not controlled by drink. 
not enslaved to that and, and not going overboard. It relates to the self-control issue, not be a drunkard. It says, not violent, but gentle. So as you look at the scope of their lives, is, there, is it violence or is there a gentleness to them and how they relate right to others? Are they able to control uh, their anger or their repentant of, of their losses, those sorts of things? Um, not quarrelsome, not always looking for a fight, not always in a heated debate where they're trying to prove they're better than someone or they know more than someone or they're fighting about someone or they're always having to attack someone. But there's a, a gentleness to them. And it doesn't mean not fighting for the truth, but the way in which you fight for the truth. The way in which you go about approaching others who may be in error or difference. And those things. Not quarrelsome, but engaging, hospitable, those sorts of things. And then it says, not a lover of money. And so that doesn't have to do with how much money you have. You may have a lot of money or a little bit of money or no money. That doesn't disqualify you from being an elder. But to be a lover of money. To be controlled by money, by the pursuit of money, and those sorts of things will be evidence that your character is lacking and there's, there's issues going on that, that need to be addressed. Um, verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So, everyone who doesn't have perfect children is disqualified, right? <laughs> No, 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 no. How do you respond to your children? How do you respond when things aren't going well at home? How do you respond? Are you, and when things go bad, are you repentant? Do you lead your family in repentance and, and towards faith? And all these sorts of things. When we put all these pieces together, are you able to manage uh, your household well? If you, can't, you know, if you can't lead the little flock that you've been given to shepherd, how can you be a shepherd of the, the bigger flock of God's church? It's the question that, that comes into mind here. Um, and so, uh, and, and are your, your, you know, do your children respond well to you would be the, the bigger thing. Are you able to lead and to figure out how to shepherd even in your own household? Uh, verse 6, um, those, who, those who would serve as an, an elder must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Yeah, so not a proud person, not a recent convert, but someone who's, who's had time for the Spirit to work within them, to help take care of some of these issues. Because over time, we grow in, in God's grace. We become more and more sanctified along the way. And so we don't want someone who's jumping in to lead, even though they have, may have great gifts, who hasn't had some refining take place in their life yet. And so we look for people who aren't recent converts, but who have been walking with Christ uh, for a while. They not, might not be puffed up by the, even the title of elder. Or whatnot, um, and then fall into the condemnation of the devil. What a great warning there uh, for all of us who would seek to lead that we don't fall into that trap, the condemnation of the devil. Seven, moreover, uh, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Um, well thought of by outsiders. We talked about respectability earlier. But even those outside the church would look and say and confirm, even those who maybe hate the gospel would still look at the person who's going to be elder and say he's a respectable man. There's something honorable about him, the way he deals with people in the world, in business, in life, that he's well thought of, that he doesn't fall into disgrace and doesn't bring the church or the people of God or the character of Christ into disgrace as well. Um, 
which would be a snare of the devil, once again connected to pride. And so the one word that's not used here is humility. The humility kind of covers a lot of this ground. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So there's a humility about this office and about being called and served, uh, that it's not a prideful thing uh, to lord over, as we mentioned, but it's to, to be humble and know that God has called you and equipped you. And so there's a confidence that can come, but it's not a prideful confidence. It's a humble confidence that it's God that has called you and it's God at work in these situations. Sorry, I've been awful cold. My throat is so dry. All right, so we think about that. Those are the qualifications uh, for the office of elder, overseer, bishop, the, the office that we call, call elder. When we go to the next paragraph, we get the qualification, qualifications for deacons. Some of these are very similar. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, meaning that <coughs> they, they carry themselves well. They're above reproach, as the elders were told. In the same sense, there's a dignity about them that... You would look at them and you say, well, that's an honorable man. There's not anything questionable, openly questionable about their character. Um, so a dignity, not double-tongued, not speaking out of both sides of their mouth, um, particularly for deacons who, who may hear things that are going on in people's lives that are, as they seek to help and, and be a part of people's lives that need mercy and those sorts of things, you may know things about people that, that aren't public. And you can't be a gossip. You can't be a slanderer uh, and serve in this office well serving the office of deacon well. As you seek to serve people, you can't be double-tongued, kind of speaking uh, both ways about people. Um, not addicted to much wine. We, had, we talked about that earlier. Same way, not, not given over to drunkenness or addicted to much wine. Not greedy for dishonest gain. We'll talk, about the, we'll talk about the responsibilities in a minute, but one of the roles of the deacon within the church is to take care of the property and the money. And if you're greedy for dishonest gain, you do not need to be the one in charge of the purse, right? You think about... You know, even and, and this happens. We see Judas Iscariot was in charge of the purse amongst the apostles. And so we know it's a danger. And so to be a deacon, uh, to be not greedy for dishonest gain, to not be taking advantage of people, stealing from people, and, um, and not be tempted to steal uh, from the church even. Uh, it says, <coughs> excuse me, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Okay. The mystery of the faith. We all get that there's a mystery. Remember, faith is being sure of something you hope for, certain of what you do not see. There's a mystery there. And so we can be honest about the mystery. We don't have to go, well, I understand it all. There's no mystery. No, to be honest about the fact that there's a mystery, but yet to hold that mystery and take it as the, as the Scripture teaches it with a clear conscience. To say, I, I understand the faith and the vitals of the faith. And I accept them with a clear conscience. I'm not struggling over whether Jesus is the Savior or not, the things that are clear in Scripture. I'm able to say with confidence, I know these things are true. Uh, and I hold those things with a clear conscience. Um, it says, let them also be tested first. And so, like we said, not recent converts with the elders here, a testing of, of, of giftedness to give people responsibilities, particularly with deacons who are responsible for so many um, property and, and money and stewardship issues to there be a period of testing uh, to make sure that they are of the character that they seem uh, before we entrust these things to them. It says, let them also be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So it's interesting that in the, in the deacon list, the wives of the deacons are addressed, for that wasn't true in the, 
in the elder list, although the elders did talk about the household in general, and I think that does include um, you know, a wife who is of character. But here it's specifically pointed out. So why would that be? Well, I think it's because of the nature of the, of the office of the diaconate. The deacon is oftentimes going to be involved in situations that puts him in intimate quarters with people who are, are needy. It may be women. It may be you know, families and whatnot where to be, uh, where he may need one in particular wisdom from a woman in order to minister well to the women in the church, but also may need a woman to go with him at times to be a part of that ministry just for protection and for even for security for the person he's ministering to. There'll be some, you know, some help there. If there's a woman who's been abused, have a bunch of men run in. If you've been abused by her husband, have a bunch of men run in. may not be a a great scenario. And so to have a, a deacon who's able to take a godly wife with him into those situations is a, is a gift. And so if, if a deacon is married, it doesn't mean the deacon has to be married, but if he is, his wife should be one who is, who is dignified, not slanderers, because she's going to know things about people that maybe everyone doesn't know, once again, not double-tongued, not a slanderer, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so that's true for not just the deacons, but for the, by the nature of the office, their wives also in that same way. In 12, uh, verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. We've already said that's an issue in that culture. Um, and so, but uh, to be married and, and be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well, same issue we talked about before. If you can't manage the things at home, then it's going to be hard for you to manage the things uh, in the church. Um, and then 13, for those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, so to have officers, elders, and, and deacons, in this case in particular, who serve us well, gives us confidence that God's at work around us. As we see him working through those who are, who are in, in the offices of the church, who are officers in the church, we get more confidence as congregants that God's at work in our church. And so when we see deacons serving well, when we see elders serving well, we become more and more confident that God's at work in our church because God raises up and, and brings these things. And so when we see these sorts of things, we're encouraged in our own faith. And so we notice here that though we've talked about the fact that the focus is on the character of the person more so than the skills of the person. But that doesn't mean that there aren't responsibilities that require skills and certain giftedness. Um, so let's talk about the responsibilities of an officer. I'll talk about the office of elder first. There are um, two classes of elders. In our denomination, we have teaching elders and ruling elders. I'm a teaching elder. Uh, the men who serve, uh, the other men who serve in this body in the office of elder are ruling elders. The teaching elder is someone who's been trained specifically to teach and preach the Bible and has been called to a specific office of that, of, of shepherd and overseer in a full, usually a full-time capacity, not always, but in the specific capacity of ordained um, preaching ministry, where the, uh, the office of ruling elder are lay people, generally, who, who serve uh, a church as well, um, but as a, as a sort of a non-professional, sort of not a profession sort of thing. Although none of us want to be professional in the same sense that the, you know, the bankers and lawyers are professionals. Where we may get to the point where we're just clocking in and out. But the calling to ministry is different for teaching elders and even for ruling elders who serve. Where our desire is to, 
to be filled with the Spirit and see that overflow into the lives of others, to see the gospel flow out in, in, the, in an equipping way in the people around us. So we have two different classes, teaching elders and ruling elders. But they have the same roles and responsibilities, <coughs> similar roles and responsibilities. Three roles of an elder, according to our Book of Church Order, is that first he's a pastor or a shepherd, and then he's an elder, and then he's a teacher. So it makes some distinctions between those. Let me run through those for you. As a pastor and shepherd, the elder oversees the worship and teaching ministries of the church. And so um, the elders set the time in which we gather for worship. They set the, the curriculum and o help oversee the curriculum that we use and all those sorts of things. Um, and they, they set the, the tone and vision of the church, are responsible for making sure that the gospel is proclaimed in the life of the church, that the, the pastor's being faithful, the pastor's responsible for being faithful, any other teaching that goes on is faithful to the scripture. And then the elders are called to actual teaching and preaching. It doesn't mean they're the only ones that can teach and preach, but they oversee the teaching and preaching, and then in most cases do a lot of the teaching uh, and preaching. Um, the other role as a, as a shepherd or a pastor is to protect the sheep from error, to point out false teachings and maybe even false teachers. If someone comes into the church and is a false teacher to call them out, silence them, maybe help them, train them, those sorts of things, but protect the flock from being distorted by false teaching. That's one of the roles of the pastor, of the elder. Um, to oversee the sacraments, to make sure that the sacraments are practiced regularly, that they're practiced rightly, that the, and that people are admitted rightly to the sacraments of the church. Um, and then uh, along with that goes the responsibility to discipline those who are wayward, who are sinning, who are openly sinning and unrepentantly sinning, in order to restore them to the fellowship of the church. And so there's a discipline aspect to the role of elder that comes under this heading of shepherding, helping guide the sheep uh, that God has given us into the the right pathways. He also serves as an elder. As an elder, the role of elder is to govern the church, to administrate the ministry of the church, uh, to make decisions for the welfare of the church. Like I said, to, to be involved in setting the direction and the vision for which the church progresses. And that's not just for the church, but also for our, our church as a whole, for the presbytery and our general assembly on a denominational level. Ruling and teaching elders serve on committees and as delegates all the way up through our denomination. And so we're involved in so many ways. So ruling elders are massively important in that uh, because the PCA is designed to be a grassroots denomination. We'll have a general assembly where all of our, uh, where all of our churches get together, send delegates, uh, send representatives to the denominational meeting that happens in June every year. But um, we'll, and, and during that meeting, we'll, for example, entertain overtures about different issues. Some of them are just changes to the BCO. Some of them are theological, dealing with issues in the church. All of those things originate in local sessions, in local churches. And then they go to presbyteries. So they could, re could stop starting presbyteries in places that are dominated predominantly by ruling elders. For example, on our board of elders, which we call a session, um, Right now, so after today, we'll have five active ruling elders and one teaching elder that sit on the session of this church. In that meeting, I'm the moderator of the meeting, which means, while my voice is influential in the discussion of things, when it comes time to take a vote, guess who doesn't get a vote? Me. I'm the moderator of the meeting. Our vision is primarily set by those who are ruling elders, even though we all talk and we all have influence in that discussion, unless there's a tie I don't even vote. How great is that? We, we're led by 
not the professional clergy, which has been a problem in so many denominations where the clergy has gone away from the Bible and towards things that are false. But here, hopefully led by, by ruling elders, by the laity. And, and of course, there's, you know, all those things happen, but we're a grassroots, we're designed to work in a grassroots way, and that's encouraging to me. And I hope it's encouraging to you that it's, our denomination is ultimately led by people like us who sit in the pews, who are there, um, who you've elected uh, to serve. And so that happens in the local session and also in the presbytery level where ruling elders serve and even the general assembly level and on the committees of our denomination, which are made up of ruling and teaching elders all the way up. All right. <coughs> And then the third role of the elder is to be a teacher. Like I said, not necessarily public teaching for ruling elders, although it obviously might be, but able to give wisdom and to share wisdom and to share counsel to those who are in the church who are needing truth or needing advice or needing shepherding. They were able to shepherd them in the truth, able to teach the truths of the faith as we walk alongside people uh, throughout life. Uh, to teach doctrine you know, and, and to hold the church to right doctrine. Any Christian can join the church but to be an officer required to affirm the doctrine of the church, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the large and shorter catechism, to, to do the business of the church according to the Book of Church Order. Those are things that aren't asked of people, everyone who joins the church, but to be an officer uh, to affirm those things. Um, to lead in and model prayer and to pray for the church is one of the roles of, uh, in teaching, helping people learn how to pray and to pray for them and, and teach them. And then, as we mentioned a little bit before, to fight against heresy and heresies, to make sure that the truth is taught and that false teaching is pointed out. We do that through shepherding. We also do that through teaching for the elders. All right, let's think about the office of deacon for a second. The office of deacon was um, instituted to allow the apostles uh, to not have to be uh, stopping their praying and teaching and shepherding to go and distribute the daily food to the widows. In Acts, we're told that there was a daily distribution of food to the widows in the community. And there was a controversy about who was getting served first. And so uh, they were having to settle out this controversy because some of the Gentile women and the Hebrew women weren't getting equal distributions when it came to the, the handing out of food for the, the ladies who were in need. And so the elders, um, here's what they told them. Um, sorry, the apostles, the 12 apostles said they summoned the full number of the disciples. So they gathered the congregation together and they said... It is not right that we should give up preaching in the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And they said that was pleasing, so they chose seven men. So there was an election held. They chose seven men who started serving and taking care of the needs of these widows and the other needs in the community like that so that the, the apostles, the elders could be freed up to pray and teach and shepherd and do those things. Uh, and so that's where the office of deacon came from. And what we see is from that that our church is more healthy when, um, we, we could say, I heard someone say one time, when elders eld and deacons deke. When we do what we're called to do, what we're gifted to do. And so when the elders are involved in teaching and shepherding and those things, when the deacons are involved in serving and caring for the needs of the of the church and the people in the church, we're all freed up to do what we're gifted to do most, although there's overlap in all of these things at times. Uh, the BCO calls the office of deacon an office of sympathy and service. What that means is the deacons are charged with helping people in their time of need. The Book of Church Order says that, in particular, um, the deacons are to reach out and be aware of those in the church who are the needy, the sick, the friendless, or those in distress. 
It's a ministry of mercy uh, to those who are hurting. The deacons also take care of the more practical needs of the church, the property, the stewardship. Uh, it says, you know, encouraging liberality and giving, making sure that there's people who are, who are being helped and trained to give well to those around them and to the church and the work of God and even the needy around us. Um, while being responsible for the collection and the distribution of money and those sorts of things. Uh, we also know the deacons may be teachers in the church as well. It's not, we said, there is always sort of overlap. We know that Stephen, who was one of those deacons who was in the next chapter after that is stoned to death, uh, was a teacher in the church. That came was the, the, kind of the cause of the harm brought upon him. We know that Philip, <coughs> one of these guys that was appointed a deacon that day, went on to be a missionary and a, an evangelist in the church. And so there's... Uh, it doesn't mean that you're pigeonholed into not ever teaching, but within your gifts, yeah, there's freedom in all those things, but you're called to help serve and love and take care of the needy and the, those things. Um, the, the other important thing to say about deacons is that deacon is not a lesser office than elder. It's a different office. It's a complementary office to the office of elder. Um, but it has a different role. It requires someone with a different set of gifts, although it's possible that a man may be gifted in such a way that he could serve either office. Uh, we have someone here, Billy Johnston, for example, has been a deacon. He served for an elder as a while. He's gone back and served as a deacon again at times. and has gifts uh, across uh, the board there. The greatest responsibility that an officer of the church has, though, when we talk about all these responsibilities, the greatest responsibility has is to walk in humility and to be dependent on Jesus to grow in humility, to grow in dependence, to be quick in running to the cross, to be quick in leading others to the cross as well. Um, church office, just like everything else in our lives, is meant to be empowered by and centered on the work of Jesus on the cross. The gospel has got to be primary. We have no other hope. We must center our lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's true for every one of us, from the newest, youngest members to the oldest and, and most seasoned elders and deacons among us. When I think about our, our elders and deacons here, I think particularly of Matt and Steve who are coming today to be installed and Matt who's being ordained. We've got to keep some things in mind as we think about this. Guys, none of us live up to the character traits or fulfill our job description perfectly. I'm glad that we're in a church that gives us grace to grow in our calling. I came here as a young buck and you guys have been greatly patient with me. I'm thankful for that. Um, as God's grown me and trained me even over the years, not that I've arrived or anything, uh, but I'm thankful that this is a culture of grace where we're able to grow. I mean, that, that encourage you. Um, and it's important for us to realize that, to, to do our best without pretending to be perfect, because we're not perfect. And, and if we try to be perfect and try to act perfect, we're just going to swell up with pride or be completely defeated in despair. We're not perfect, and a large part of our calling is to set an example for the church in depending upon Christ alone for our salvation, to trust him to make us more like himself. And so we need to be leading, and primarily leading a lot of times in repentance, being the first one to say, I'm guilty, it's me, and setting a model for what is expected for a Christian, which is to repent and believe the gospel to lead in hating our sin, even in confessing our sins, and seeking forgiveness from those who are, we have wronged. The church and the world are watching us, who have been set apart as officers, uh, to see if Jesus is real, to see if the gospel really is true. And, and we are most effectively showing that he's real, not when we have it all together, but when we're actively trusting him and remembering that he has taken all our sins upon himself. 
And so while Todd will give a charge to the new guys here in a few minutes, I'll give a charge to all of you elders and deacons and, and leaders in the church for all of us, but especially those who are set apart as officers. Model repentance. Embrace humility. Love Jesus. Love the lost. Love this church. God has called us to our offices to make us more like Jesus and to help uh, this church be more like Jesus. And so we have to pursue him and trust him like our lives depend on him. Because our lives do depend on him. They're centered in Christ and our walk with him. As a church, we're called to respect the leaders that God has called to lead us in service. These are men that we have elected to be in these offices. And as long as they're not leading us into sin, we're called to, to follow them. We're going to, in a few minutes, these men will take oaths to serve. But there's also a question that's asked to the congregation. Here's what it says. It says, do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders? And if we were deacons coming today, it would be the same question for the deacons. And do you promise to yield them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord, of which their office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? And so as we've elected officers to serve us, believing that they're called by God, we're, we're to follow them. And, and where there's sin in their lives that they don't see, to even point it out, to call them to repentance as well as they are calling us to repentance. I'm excited about the men that are being installed this morning and, and in the case of Matt being ordained. Things that stand out to me about both these men is their humility. I remember the first time Steve came to Westminster. One of the things that struck me, y'all heard me talk before, and you know, he first came here when he got a new job in town, and so they moved, they were visiting churches, and he came here. You've heard me talk before about how some people just smell like Jesus. That's Steve and Donna Towery. That's a good thing. But when I met him, I immediately thought, these are people who love God, love the gospel, love his people. Just the way they related to people, related to me and, and others. And so from the first moment, I thought about them. Steve, in his humility, never even told me that he was a ruling elder when he first moved here. I have a friend who's a ruling elder at the church that they came from in Clanton, right? Well, it's Clanton. Clanton, clear. I can't keep all those C cities straight. Clanton, Alabama. I have a friend there who's a missionary, and we were talking one day, and he mentioned just in casual conversation what a great ruling elder Steve was. And I had my suspicions, but I didn't know that for sure. But Steve wouldn't even tell me he was an elder. I think he's afraid I'd give him a job. Um, <coughs> but look, Steve loves deeply. He'll probably cry, as will I, before we're done this morning, <laughs> because he cares. He cares. Uh, not that people who don't cry don't care, but you know what I mean. And he loves people. He shares his faith regularly. I love going to lunch with Steve because Steve always has a story about someone that he shared his faith with, either one of his co-workers or one of his customers or somebody that he's gotten the opportunity, and he's so excited about it, about being able to share the gospel with those around him. Such an encouragement to me. I'm excited that um, for all of us, he's being installed as a ruling elder here today. And then I think about Matt. Now, I guess my first interaction with Matt was probably through our school. We had a school that closed a few years ago, and uh, they had moved here. They had been on the mission field and, and um, had had some hard things going on in their life, and so they were kind of reeling a little bit, and they landed in Columbus, and um, their kids started coming to school here, and I met them, and then they, they started coming to church. And, um, you know, when we... They, their kids had only been at the school just maybe less than a year when we decided to close our school. And one of the first phone calls I made was to, to probably to Joy. I don't remember who I talked to that day because I was like, oh, this is good. They're going to hate our church now. <laughs> and they didn't. They were so gracious and understanding and thankful and um, 
and things are going well for them. You know, like I said, they came here in the midst of a hard situation. They had been brought to humility in a hard way and were, were just starting to recover. And so I saw humility in Matt, but I wasn't sure if it was situational humility or godly, hum you know, kind of life character humility. Uh, in the midst of, of that, you know, it's, hard, it's hard to tell sometimes. But uh, to watch him, uh, I, I can tell you that there's a a humble godliness that's evident in him in every interaction I have with him, watching him interact with others. So thankful that they are my kids' Sunday school teachers, my older kids. Uh, to my kids to be exposed to them and to sit under their leadership. It's a great thing. Um, to watch him love his family and to work multiple jobs to provide for them and, and being willing, while being faithful, to be a part of the church, teaching and serving and leading. Uh, it's been a joy to watch him and Joy grow and heal and now to to see him be ordained as a ruling elder today is an exciting thing for me as a pastor to serve alongside him. And it's exciting, it's an exciting thing for you to have these men lead you and, and join the leadership of the, of the church in an in ordained way today. I'm excited to be in ministry with these men. It's my privilege to be leading their, their ordination and installation this morning. I'm going to ask them to come up. Um, and then I'm going to pray for them real quick. And then we've got some, some questions. Yeah, now. So, here, y'all stand over here so I can look at you. I'm going to look that way. Let me, now y'all face them. Y'all turn and face that way. Let me, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. Would you help us to live by it? Would you continue to raise up leaders here who love and serve you, who are people of character, men, women, boys, and girls, but particularly officers? who are charged and called to lead us in, specific, in these specific ways. I thank you for these men. I thank you for Steve and for Matt, for others, for our elders and deacons who serve us and, and care for us so well and lead us so well. Help us to follow them and um, to, be, uh, uh, to be led by them and to learn from them. And I pray especially for these guys as they uh, take on this mantle of leadership today that they would serve us well, that you would work in them, that the gospel would be evident in their lives They'd be full of repentance, full of faith, and um, that'd be true for all of us as they set an example 